From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in and making us part of your day. Well, coming up on this Monday edition, Republican governors joined Texas Governor Greg Abbott yesterday in Texas. Every state in our country now is a border state. When you think about the amount of fentanyl, the human trafficking that's coming, they're coming to every state in the country, and every governor's having to deal with it. And we're standing with Governor Abbott today because if our border is not secure, our country is not secure. That was Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Well, the long-awaited text of the Ukraine's supplemental funding bill, which has morphed into a border security bill, was released over the weekend. This week, the Senate will begin to take action on a large national security package that includes a realistic, pragmatic, and the strongest solution to our border crisis in my lifetime. That was Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema, who was a part of the bipartisan negotiations in the Senate. We're going to talk with Oklahoma Senator James Langford, who led the negotiation efforts on behalf of Republicans. So what does the bill do for border security and what does it not do? We're going to talk about that. Also over the weekend, House Speaker Mike Johnson said funding for Israel was moving forward in a new funding package. We cannot wait anymore. The reason we are going to send the new Israel package over is because the time is urgent and we have to take care of that responsibility. Israel has never been in greater need of our support, and the House is serious about that. I believe we'll pass this with a, a wide margin. Three months ago, the, the House sent a, another measure over to the Senate that has simply sat there. That was Speaker Johnson on Meet the Press yesterday. We're going to talk about that as well. And on Saturday, WHO, World Health Organization Director General Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, was selling his global power grab disguised as a pandemic accord at the Warwick Economic Summit in the U.K. The pandemic agreement is mission critical for humanity. If it had been in place before COVID-19, we would not have lost so much. We would not have suffered so much. Well, I'm not sure everybody agrees with that. In fact, earlier this afternoon, Ohio Congressman Brad Winstrup, who chairs a special select committee looking into COVID-19 and WHO, took a different has a different take on the WHO and their push for a pandemic accord. You know, when the WHO needed to step up and help the world navigate this unprecedented event of a novel coronavirus and a global pandemic, they instead ignored facts. They parroted back some of the narrative the Chinese Communist Party told them. And that's what we got. Congressman Winstrup made his remarks at a press conference hosted by New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith. I was also there at the press conference and spoke. Congressman Smith is going to actually join me here in studio to discuss the pandemic accord, or really it's a treaty by effect, and what uh, we see as one of the most dangerous initiatives ever presented. Another U.N. agency is also under scrutiny. The United States is uh, pushing for an immediate and serious investigation into the allegations um, at UNRWA. And meanwhile, we're going to continue to consult closely with other donors on how to continue to meet uh, urgent humanitarian uh, needs uh, in Gaza. That was uh, State Department Principal Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel. Uh, what, what can be done to 
rein in this organization, which has literally received billions of dollars from the Biden administration and has been linked to Hamas. We're going to explore that question later on this edition of Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Exodus chapter 1. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. So how do you rob a people of the power and hope of their future? Well, you target their children. But look at how the midwives responded. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Now, these midwives who, according to scholars, were probably Egyptian women in charge of the midwives who attended the Hebrews, they feared God, not Pharaoh. But Pharaoh then comes up with plan B, verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. You see, evil never rests. Therefore, nor should we. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. After four months of negotiations, the Senate has released the text of a $118 billion bill that pairs funding and security measures for the southern border with aid to Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. Billed as a once-in-a-generation opportunity to address the southern border security issue, and following a four-month stretch that broke every uh, illegal crossing record, could this legislation fix the crisis the Biden administration has created, or could it make the situation worse, as some claim? Joining me now to discuss the ins and outs of this bill is Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma, who represented Republicans in the Senate throughout the negotiations. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Homeland Security Committee and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Senator Langford, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Tony, good to see you as well. All right, let's just jump right into this. There's a lot of controversy surrounding this, uh, the bill. Of course, a lot of that was uh, out there before the bill even came out. Let's talk about what the bill actually says, what it does and what it doesn't do. So what it actually does, it actually builds more wall. It has $650 million to be able to build more wall. It has to be designed according to the Trump design. Uh, it adds uh, a record number of detention beds to be able to hold people so we can catch and release. Uh, it ends as a lot of detention officers. It adds asylum officers, Border Patrol, ICE agents. It increases deportation flights back out. Uh, all of those things are built into the bill. Then it has some major policy changes as well, especially changing asylum. This is the vulnerable issue that we have is a very loose, very old, full of loopholes, uh, version of asylum. So we add a new version of asylum so that most people when they actually come to, across the border will be turned around immediately, a faster process for the screening with fewer appeals. So you can't just do endless appeals and stay in the country forever. It takes away the 10-year backlog, moves it to weeks or days to actually get to resolution on this. It ends the use of uh, humanitarian parole to just give work permits to people coming into the country. So no longer do you just get a work permit for showing up at the border. You've actually got to go through the full asylum process and everything else on it. And then the last piece, it has an emergency authority on it, which has been much maligned in this and much misunderstood. It actually deals with the reality we have today. Today, we have more than 5,000 people crossing the border. All of those folks are going to be released into the country. If this bill was in place, 
all of those folks would have been deported out of the country. It doesn't count 5,000 in and then starts to deport people. It starts at the very beginning and just deports them all, and it does so for weeks until we can drive the numbers back down. It's targeted to how do we get control of the border again and stop the chaos. So I, I want to I pick up on that last point because you're right. That's where I've heard the, the, the most criticism is that this locks into place this 5,000 this 5,000 person limit. So up until that point, anybody can come in. So we're basically codifying that 5,000 uh, illegal crossings is okay. And it doesn't uh, trigger something until we breach that. Yeah, that's a hundred percent not true. And I've heard that from a lot of people as well to say, we're just allowing 5,000 people in every day. Actually, what we're doing under this bill is that is the last resort. We're adding a lot of different restrictions. We're detaining more people. We're doing faster processing in detention and deportation out of the country. All of those things are then, but we all know there are times a caravan will come across the border and just overrun us in those situations. We need extra firepower to be able to shut it down. This gives us that extra firepower to be able to shut the whole thing down. Right now, the default is everybody's in when we're crowded. This would be the default is everybody's out whenever when it's overcrowded. So no one's just being caught and released anymore. This is focused on detention, on quick processing, on quick deportations and hearings to bring the numbers down dramatically. So the 5,000 is not allowing 5,000 in. It is the emergency break glass authority that if we have those caravans, we're able to turn people around quickly. So just make sure I understand this. So the all these other provisions are going to manage the crisis at the border. But if we're overrun, as we are right now, this break glass, as you said, would give the authority just to basically shut the border down. Absolutely total seal tight. Nobody comes across. That's correct. That, that means everybody come between the ports of entry. They're all turned around, deported immediately. If you have appointments at a port of entry, you can apply for asylum. But that's that's the same rule that President Trump had in 2018 when he was trying to shut down between ports of entry, but leave the ports of entry open for orderly process. By the way, the courts kicked that out and said that the president didn't have the authority to be able to do that. This law would actually fix that piece so that it would be allowed at that point. So this is what Trump tried to do. It just has a cap also attached to it to how it kicks in. But this is what he tried to do in 2018. So, Senator Langford, that's one of the other issues that I've heard is that this would tie the hands of the next president. Let's say we have another Donald Trump and you've been to the border multiple times. I've been down there, was there before uh, the Trump administration was actually able to get a handle on the border. And then I was there after they got a handle on the border and it was a ghost town. Uh, if he comes back in and he is president or someone that has a, a, a strong border policy, would his hands be tied? Absolutely not. This still allows to remain in Mexico. It protects all of the same authorities that President Trump used before. So there are no previous authorities that are taken out. This adds new authorities. It strengthens the asylum process, strengthens the detention process, uh, uh, takes away a lot of the appeals so we can do faster deportations. But this doesn't limit in any way presidential authority for any of the authorities that have been used in the past. We fought very hard for that to be able to make sure that presidents that actually want to enforce the border, unlike President Biden now, who does not, presidents that actually want to enforce the border, this is one more authority laid on top of what they already had. As you recall, and you've seen it and talked about it, we had days under the Trump presidency as well when we had 4,000, 4,500 people even illegally crossing the border that the Trump administration was scrambling to try to pull authorities together to be able to deal with. This 
law, if it were to pass or this bill, if it were to become law, you would not have any days like that ever again because you'd have dramatically increased authorities from day one. Is there an expiration on this, a time limit in which these, these provisions are in place? Yeah, only one of them, this border emergency authority, this 5,000 authority, it has an expiration of three years because it's really designed to help us get control of the border while we're staffing up, while we're adding the detention beds, while we're adding the deportation flights. We needed something as a backstop so we can make a difference right now. But it's not intended to be a long-term authority. It's intended to be an immediate, let's stop the chaos at our border right now. Remember in December, we had 10,000 people a day that were illegally crossing the border in December. This bill, if it had been in place, all of those folks would have been turned around. But without it, we had 300,000 people that came into our country. What does this bill not do that you wanted to see done? Oh, I'd love to get all of H.R. 2. Uh, what uh, the House put together was a very solid bill. A year ago, the House said we need new law. And they put together a very comprehensive package to be able to deal with that. Unfortunately, they didn't get a single Democrat to vote for that. In fact, they didn't even get every Republican to vote for it in the House. When it came over to the Senate, we pushed it into an amendment. We didn't get all Republicans on it, and we didn't get a single Democrat either. So there are aspects in that that I'd love to be right. able to have. But right now, I'm trying to get as much as I possibly can with a Democrat Senate, Democrat president, and a barely just a two-vote majority House. We can't just sit and say we want the perfect, and so we're going to allow millions of people to come in over the next several months while we're waiting on the perfect. Let's stop the chaos right. and do everything that we can uh, right now. Ten seconds. Uh, you've been at this a long time. I've been tracking this for 20 years. I've been here. Is this the breakthrough on the border policy that we've been looking for? This is a dramatic shift. I'll let everybody decide on it. But this is a dramatic shift, and it closes that asylum loophole that we've all known needs to be done for a long time. All right, Senator James Langford, thanks so much for joining us. Always appreciate it. All right, folks, stick around. Congressman Chris Smith joins me in studio. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
it is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, um, this week, the, the, you know, the House is going to be focused on, on Israel and funding uh, that bill that will get emergency funding to our ally Israel. Also, border. Border is going to continue to be an issue. So if you'd like to weigh in with the House leadership to stand firm on the border, uh, text BORDER to 67742. Now, tomorrow, I'm actually going to have Senator Mike Lee on the program uh, he's scheduled to come on, and he's opposed to the proposal that was just laid out by Senator uh, Langford, and we're going to talk to him about it. I'm going to get both sides and see what people are, are thinking about this piece of legislation. I will tell you this. Uh, this is an issue that has been at the forefront for over 20 years. I, I uh, The late Bishop Harry Jackson and I wrote a book, Personal Faith, Public Policy, in which this was one of the issues, and it's still an issue. That was back in 2005. All right. The World Health Organization continues to push it, uh, push to finalize a worldwide pandemic treaty. Uh, it's a global power grab. Now, last week, WHO Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus called the treaty, quote, mission critical for humanity. No hyperbole there. And he attacked its critics, I guess, like Washington Watch, for spreading fake news, lies, and conspiracy theories. Well, earlier today, Congressman Chris Smith spearheaded a press conference to highlight the many, and I emphasize many, concerns surrounding the proposed treaty. Let's just say the lack of transparency, the backroom negotiations, which, by the way, they're meeting uh, even this week. And almost all of it is behind closed doors. No access by the public. There's the WHO overreach, the infringement on U.S. sovereignty, the unknown financial obligations for U.S. taxpayers, threats to intellectual property rights, and free speech. Funding for abortion. Yeah, yeah, it's in there, too. The list goes on. Well, join me now to discuss this and much more. Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey, he is a senior member on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. He's also the co-chair of the Congressional Pro-Life Caucus. He represents the 4th Congressional District of New Jersey. Congressman Smith, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you in Thank studio. you, Tony. Thank you for your leadership. And again, your, your contribution to today's press conference on WHO was outstanding. Thank you for doing that. Well, I, I appreciate you 
taking this on. There's so many issues, and every issue that is going to be advanced has to have a champion, and you're a champion on this because you you have institutional knowledge and history. You know what the WHO is about. And today in your comments, as you laid the groundwork for the press conference, right out of the gate, you talked about their pro-abortion record and what is in this treaty that will target innocent human life. Talk about it. Uh, they embedded into the treaty language that talks about continuing essential health services. Now, that sounds benign, sounds what who would argue with that. Then you look into WHO pronouncements, and these are all on their website, and I have copies of every one of them, and they they define essential health services to be abortion on demand. They are pushing now, as model legislation for the world, uh, abortion right up into the moment of birth, all nine months, no gestational limits, and for any reason. What does that have to do with the pandemic? That's exactly my point. You know, why did they embed that into a, a treaty uh, with regards to infectious disease, unless somehow you construe an unborn child to be the equivalent of a disease or an illness or a wart or, or something to be excised. And they do. That's how they look at it. They, in their model legislation, Tony, they say that there's no right to conscience on the part of health care professionals. Uh, they have to be coerced into do it or lose their license. Uh, they say no waiting periods, no parental involvement, and again, abortion right till birth. So you can suspend the freedom of speech because in this uh, treaty, it's a treaty. Now, they call it an agreement, a draft agreement, a protocol. And it's binding. It, but it's binding. <laughs> Absolutely binding. It, it's binding. So it's a treaty. Um, they're doing that to avoid conf- ever going to the United States Senate for ratification, calling it just a, an agreement. But in this, in the body of it, they want uh, member states to crack down on freedom of speech oh, yeah. if anyone challenges what they're doing. So abortion, yes, keep the doors open. Free speech, shut it. Churches, shut those down. Anything that would challenge their authority. Well, I've read it very carefully. I've read every iteration, and now the one that's moving. And they keep changing it. They do change it, but they haven't changed that. Right. They I know, call, I know, but they, they keep, because yeah. they'll change something and say, well, that, we, we, we fixed that. Yeah. Right, and they haven't. And, but they are talking about combating uh, misunderstandings, misinformation. <clears throat> As I pointed out at the press conference, well, that would be retroactive because yeah. the World Health Organization, just like our own government, put out such false and misleading information about COVID starting from the very beginning. Now, Tedros, the director general of the WHO, got his job from Xi Jinping in China. He was their candidate. They backed him. They lobbied for him. And when COVID hit, he did everything he could to provide disinformation about how it spreads, uh, as well as, you know, the, the origins of it. And we still don't have, from WHO, a clear and definitive a word as to where it came from because he was doing the Chinese Communist Party's bidding. And the world suffered oh, because suffered of that. Because, you remember, oh, it's not spread human to human. Right. Uh, we heard that, oh, it's, it, it's under control. When, in fact, it was not. And the criticism of Trump when he said we need to ban flights coming from there. I mean, it was like, well, that should have been WHO because their man was on the job, but it really wasn't. Uh, And they also looked the other way when certain doctors inside of China, Dr. Lee was one of them, were harassed and belittled by the dictatorship. And there's WHO going along with it. So when we look back and do an assessment of how WHO, and I would, as you pointed out, I would throw in our government as well. When we look at how they did, why would we give them this authority in cement 
to do the same thing that's again. Why we, that's why we have to leave, we have to. They even talk about uh, they're promoting the progressive realization of universal health coverage. So that's in here too. Right. What's that have to do with the pandemic? <laughs> exactly. Um, everything they do here is a grab, uh, and then the power inures to themselves. It's right. not like people in my district will have a say. They will be told, you know, this is well, what you it, must do. It, and when you get into some of the controversial stuff, yeah. like vaccinations for right. two-year-olds, it's unclear how serious they're going to be able to impose so things So this is, like instead that. of moving these decisions closer to the people, it's right. moving them away from the people. All right, uh, Congressman Chris Smith, we're up against a break, but we're coming back. Folks, uh, a lot to cover on this. So I'm doing something a little different today. I have Congressman Smith in the studio with me, and we're going to continue to talk about this into the next segment. Um, but I want you to, to be a part of this. As I said, our republic was not made for spectators. It was made for participants. We need to, we need to stop this pandemic accord, but we need to get rid of the WHO. We need to defund them, just as President Trump did. Text the word WHO to 67742 and sign our petition to Congress. That's WHO to 67742. All right, stick with us. We're coming back with more right after the break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. All right, welcome back to Washington. Watch, good to have you with us. Uh, text the word WHO, who, to 67742 and sign the petition to defund WHO. All right, Congressman Chris Smith, my guest, who uh, orchestrated, hosted a press conference with uh, a number of experts today on Capitol Hill talking about this pandemic accord agreement. It's a treaty. 
It is a treaty. If it, you know, like they say, if it, if it, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. This is a treaty. But they're skirting the obligations of having a treaty presented to the United States Senate because they know they couldn't get the support for this. Well, and they may do it. Um, <clears throat> so-called executive agreements is a handy little device that's being used, has been used by the Obama administration, is being, uh, and Biden. It was used for the Paris Accords on climate right. change. You know, submitted to the. You it know, was used the, on the uh, on, on, Iran on the Iran con- nuclear deal, right. and, and that's why Trump uh, completely abrogated that false agreement or treaty because it was not properly ratified, and that's what we're seeing again here. Uh, and it's just the skirting of a. I mean, getting the consent of the Senate, as difficult as it is, ensures that a very well, robust it's discussion it's it's takes there. place. Exactly, our the, founders, the founders were so knew right what to they, do it. They knew they what knew they were it. doing. All right, I, I want to go mm-hmm. to this issue of uh, basically disinformation that they yeah. they they talk about, which would uh, silence. Um, critics, and, and even, I mean, not just, this is not just people who are out there talking. This is like uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who's on right. our program sure. often, who is a medical expert, uh, understands pandemics. They want to silence these people. And, and, you know, they will if they're giving the ability to do that. Uh, they'll do it by ostracizing them. They'll use it by taking away their medical uh, practice, uh, the ability to practice their medicine. Uh, there's all these tools that would be at their disposal. And, you know, there, there was just another, just within a few days, uh, the Judiciary Committee wanted to depose uh, a guy named Flaherty, who was in charge of the digital uh, for, for uh, Biden. And he was admonishing, demanding that Meta and others... Um, you know, get this out, take this off uh, social media because there was a dissident voice saying, wait a minute, time out. That mask, that's not the right, way to go. Right. That vaccination of two-year-olds right. isn't the way to go, well, and, just like you just said. And that's a part of— And that's of, in, this, in this treaty. That's a—it's right. It, it's, 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 in, it's in black and white, so this is not speculation. I'm going to quote from this. The draft agreement dives into, dives into this issue of censorship, um, and it has this kind of Orwellian concept of uh, infodemic. I mean, there's there's, uh, too much information. So infodemic uh, means too much information, false or misleading information. I'm quoting from it. In digital or physical environments during disease outbreaks, it causes confusion and risk-taking behaviors that can harm health. It also leads to mistrust in health authorities and undermines public health and social measures. So they call then upon governments that are a part of this um, agreement to clamp down and do exactly what the Biden administration, as you just described, did during the pandemic, which has now resulted in a Supreme Court case. The state of Missouri and Louisiana have taken the Biden administration all the way to the Supreme Court. It's going to be a major First Amendment case um, because they now have all the evidence of what you just described. That's all a part of the depositions that came out. Well, I'm so glad those attorneys general have taken that action. Um, You know, it's Article 18 in the treaty. It says it wants to combat false, misleading, misinformation or disinformation, as you just said. And I would ask, well, let's make that retroactive. Right. Uh, You know, the the World Health uh, Organization itself 
engaged in massive disinformation right from the very beginning under Tedros. Remember, I've known him for 30 years. He used to be the, the uh, health minister for Ethiopia uh, and did not do a credible job there until China picked him up and, and made him their, their, their candidate for WHO. And so let's look at that. And China has had such an impact on the WHO. They, they practically, I wouldn't say run it completely, but have a malign influence, especially with the man they put there in charge. So with almost everything the WHO was wrong on. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the lemmings in our government did the same. They were wrong, too, because they followed. And <clears throat> at the press conference, you called them lemmings. That was great. I meant, I meant to say. Uh, they, they followed. They the, followed. They followed. Right them. over the cliff. And it was all these so, so-called experts. Yes. But there's no introspection looking back at what they did and modifying. They're just saying, all right, they're doubling down, saying we now... We know you people know we're on, you're on to us. We know you know we know that you know, yeah. and so we're going to submit the, we're going to submit this into a treaty, and you won't have a voice. You know, there's no lessons learned from COVID nineteen when it comes to coercing people using the coercive power of the state. I mean, we, uh, to to ridicule, ostracize, right. and then make them. I mean, who gets the grants? The people who say the NIH and CDC. Um, yeah, we, 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 we go along with whatever you say. Have you and heard? Then they conform. I mean, any acknowledgments that they were wrong no. on the mask? No. The studies are How many now times out. We have different right, and they're now breaking them back out. I know. What I about know. the vaccines? I know. But they actually want to indemnify even further. It's right in there exactly. in this treaty. Right. Those that would pursue these. You know, we do have a vaccine court uh, here. Right. You know, it is designed for the public interest. Uh, so that pharmaceutical companies don't get sued. Sometimes I think it goes far too far. Right, right. And, you know, when somebody but gets this sick, takes it further. This takes it further, and and someone who could be disfigured, die, right. uh, crippling. No recourse. Dis- no recourse. All right, uh, Chris Smith, we're up against a break, uh, but we're going to come back and finish talking about this, uh, folks. Again, such an important <clears throat> issue. This is uh, this is a global power grab, right? And I'm not using that as hyperbole. It really is. And I think it's setting the stage for one world governments. And I actually made reference to that today in my comments. And I'll, and I'll talk about that when we come back and finish our conversation with Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey. All right, don't go away. We're back with more after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution, 
and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Thanks for being a part of the program. And again, this is about taking action. We're here to inform you and help you be engaged in your government. Our republic was only made for participants, not spectators. We won't keep it if we just watch. So text the word WHO to 67742. Sign the petition. Uh, also, call your member of Congress and, and tell them we got to get out of this organization. We got to stop this uh, this pandemic accord, and we got to get rid of this corrupt organization. Which uh, Congressman Chris Smith, it's morally corrupt too. Exactly. Um, Republicans in the House and Mario Diaz Balart, the chairman of the Appropriations Foreign Ops Bill, uh, Foreign Ops uh, Chairman, um, in his bill is passed the House, defunds WHO completely. We don't think the Senate will accept it, so we're in a major, major clash with them right. on this. But our president, Biden, not only gives them about $115 million at its so-called assessment, he gives them another $500-plus million in volu- $500 million voluntary contributions. And what are they doing? They have now become the major purveyor of abortion till birth uh, on the planet. And they're entering into these uh, cooperative agreements with all these groups like Planned Parenthood, IPPF out of London, the major group. Uh, the Center for Reproductive Rights is now being considered, and thank you, because yeah. uh, you were one of those major signers of a letter to Tedros and the executive board not to enter into that cooperative agreement. One of them was with the European Parliamentary Forum for Sexual Reproductive Rights. Here's a group that's going all over the world with WHO print and promoter on them saying, we want you to change your law and, and legalize abortion till birth and have the government pay for it. So WHO is, is like the major catalyst for doing this. Why is a baby being killed 
right. as if he or she uh, was a disease or a disability. Now, you don't have to agree with these comments, but I, I'm going to speak to this just from a standpoint. And I'm not saying you don't just you don't agree with them, but I'm saying you don't have to. I'm speaking on behalf of myself. When I look at this, this is a, a massive grab of power. It is laying out the red carpet for global governance. And in my comments today, I, I equated this to the Tower of Babel, yeah. which was man's effort to centralize government. And look what God did. He separated them. He confused the language and dispersed them as he had told them previously to do. Look, God's form of government is decentralized. This is seeking to create one world government. And, of course, we see from Scripture where that ends. And we see that in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. Now, some say, well, that's inevitable. It's going to happen. All right, doesn't have to happen on our watch. Uh, we know God's plan. We know what God's purposes are. We know what God's principles are. And as long as we're here, we should advocate for those. And that is, number one, all life is sacred. It is created in his image, therefore it should be protected. Decentralized government, we should not surrender our authority to the United Nations or any other entity. And we should not trample upon our First Amendment freedom of speech and religion, the right to assemble. And that's exactly what this treaty, this pandemic accord would do. So text the word WHO to 67742. Congressman Chris Smith, I want to move on because tomorrow, uh, two big uh, markups on bills that you have uh, are on the House, uh, in the House committee tomorrow. One related to UNRWA, which is the United Nations Relief Work Agency. This is one that's another corrupt United Nations organization. In fact, talked about this last week, Israeli intelligence has revealed that at least 13 of UNRWA's um, employees from the relief agency in Gaza were involved with the October 7th attacks on Israel by Hamas. And Tony, that's only an ugly tip of the anti-Semitic iceberg that is UNRWA. Uh, they teach children each and every day to hate Jewish men and women and children, that the only good Jew is a dead Jew, and it's right there in their teaching materials. They hate America too, but they hate Israel even more, and that there be no more Israel. So every day, UNRWA schools, which we pay for, uh, and we are the major donor by far, uh, are doing this nefarious teaching of, of anti-Semitism, uh, suicide bombers. They have pep rallies where they, they laud suicide bombers. And you wonder why a kid, that when, by the time he's 13, has an AK-47 in his hand to kill Jewish people well, because he's been taught. And when they do that, they carry these out, their yeah. families receive payments. Exactly. If they get captured by the Israelis doing it, uh, under under pay to slay uh, policy of the PLO, PLA, I should say, and Hamas, uh, they pay them and, and reserve a position when they do get out of prison. They got a job. Uh, they, they got, got a, a job. Check. I mean, it's disgusting. Um, yeah, I, in, um, in 2013, I took some members of Congress over and we went to the first time into the eastern part of Israel, West Bank, first congressional yeah. group to, to go over there. We were briefed by the Palestinian uh, watch uh, about this very thing. And this was 2013. And I was thinking after October the 7th, I would not be surprised if some of those terrorists that crossed over into Israel and slaughtered innocent uh, civilians, if they had not been a recipients 
of that indoctrination that came from oh, there's, there's no doubt about it. it. You know, it is rife. Um, UN Watch, Halal Noor, testified at three hearings that I've had this year alone. The last one was just last week. And I co it was a co-hearing with Brian Mass. It was a great hearing. And they pointed out they have, they have documentation that every day these kids... But they have... It's on TV. It's on TV as I well. I mean, they, they have their version of Sesame Street, yeah. essentially, which is teaching them to hate Jews That's right. less than human. And, and we're funding it. Now, Donald Trump... My, my cut, bill. Donald Trump... He cut it off. Completely. But Joe Biden actually started it back up and, and paid back Increased what... It. That's right. What uh, Donald it, Trump... Again, it's outrageous out. use of U.S. taxpayer funding. What's your bill do? My bill would totally defund UNRWA. It says they cannot get so much as a dime of U.S. taxpayer funding. Uh, it does point out that nothing in it precludes providing humanitarian assistance, food, clothing, but and shelter. Do, but we not have our, else. do we not have our own aid release of course, agency? USAID. And, Why and, can't we do it? Why do we have to give money to a corrupt organization? You're absolutely right. They're corrupt. They steal. They use the money for bad things like uh, tunnels. But they also, most importantly train children, poison the minds of little children, little Palestinian kids to hate Jews. How do people help with your bill? Well, support it. I'm not sure how much support I'll get on the other side of the aisle tomorrow. Um, the Republicans are solidly behind me. Some of the Democrats are. Uh, when it comes to the floor, we're going to need, you know, good votes there. Uh, so it's a very serious attempt. So you're in, uh, you're it's, in the it's markup bill. and committee. It's tomorrow. What, what's the bill number? Oh, I don't have the bill number. I'm sorry. Right, but, well, but, we'll, but, we'll get that posted on, on the website. But it's this is uh, one step in I committee. I just introduced it last week after our hearing. When, any idea when you might get it to the floor? ASAP. And, and frankly, uh, you know, the, the speaker is very much aligned. You right. know, Speaker Johnson, he agrees a thousand percent that we've got to find some other venue other than UNRWA, a totally corrupt and anti-Semitic organization uh, to give our money to. And we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, seven billion years to date, U.S. taxpayer funding to this horrible organization. Now, we care about humanitarian assistance. Sure. But who you give it to matters. Right. Um, and this doesn't make sense if you ask me, Congressman Smith, that we would be funding UNRWA that is tied to Hamas, that right. is funding terrorism, and then we're funding Israel. I mean, it's like it's, it's like we're we're funding both it, sides. It's crazy. In two thousand three, I offered an amendment passed in the House of Representatives on finding another alternative to UNRWA because. 20 years ago, we knew then, we knew it even before that, right. how bad this organization was. And everybody goes, oh, they're improving, they're reforming. Nonsense. They're not improving. They're getting worse. And they want Israel annihilated. And that's why they're still refugees. They want to go and totally occupy Jerusalem, go in all the areas that current day are, are Israel. Yeah, you're right. I mean, even I mentioned this last week, George W. Bush had concerns about right. the leadership of UNRWA back in 2005. Well, again, in 2003 with my bill, my amendment, it died in the Senate. I could not get it out of the Senate. It's, it's, and and I just find that, you know, we've had opportunity after opportunity. Hopefully tomorrow's bill will be the one that works. All right. So tomorrow is a, a committee markup. Yes. Then it will move to the floor. But folks, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you the Capitol switchboard number. It's 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. Uh, and you can contact your uh, members of Congress, both your, your congressman and your two senators, and just how to defund this corrupt United Nations organization that is funding Hamas. It's called the U.N. Relief Works Administration, UNRWA, yeah. and it, it's been around since 
the 1940s, yeah. 75 years since, ago. Since 1949, and they've not yet resettled one right. refugee. Because they want to resettle them in Israel with Israel gone. That's, that's right. The, that's the game plan. That's right. That's the game and, plan. And this uh, clamoring for a two-state solution. Uh, oh, it, I know. It, I've talked about well, that. Well, Gaza has proved what that is. That's, De that's facto, my point. Two-state solution, point. and what do they do? They've had jurisdictional control since 2007. That's right. And what have they done? They have been working to attack Israel. I mean, exactly. I was there in, uh, I think, 2014 when there were rocket attacks, about yeah. 5,000 rockets fired into to Israel during that time. This is, this is the outcome of a two-state solution. That's why Israel says it won't work. I know. Right. I agree with them. All right. Uh, we're going to run out of time, and I, I want to go to another important markup, another bill that you have tomorrow on Capitol Hill. That deals with an issue that you and I both care deeply about, and that is Nigeria. Yeah. Um, Nigeria is a powder keg. Uh, one of the, it, It's the most populous nation in Africa, on the continent. And it is, uh, I'm afraid we're going to see another Rwanda. Well, I think you're right. You know, there's governments and this multiple governments including the current one have not stepped up to protect christians and moderate jews uh, moderate uh, muslims i should say but christians in particular the estimates are 52,250 christians have been slaughtered since 2009 5014 last year alone according well, to open doors just it's, over it's, Chris, just over christmas over 200 that's right some even put the number at as many as 300 were killed and what does Secretary of State Blinken do when he goes over there? He was just over there a few days ago. Well, he, he offers his condolences. Yeah. Well, they need to be designated a CPC. Right. And you, well, as chairman of the commission, well, when I was knows chairman, as well. We, we were successful in getting right. the Trump administration, working with Secretary Pompeo, to designate exactly. Nigeria as a CPC. Now, for our viewers and listeners, why that is important, because that affects... Uh, our ability to put sanctions on those right. countries, trade, financial transactions. So it's a, it's also there's a stigma attached exactly. to that in the international community. So it, it has an effect. But as soon as the Biden administration came in, and I was my last year as uh, a member of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, they, they took that designation away. And Secretary Blinken made a trip to Abuja, the capital of Nigeria, and to everyone's shock told the president, you're no longer a country of particular concern, so the threat of real sanctions against your country are lifted. Right. And there was not The Christians it, there were, were, were bewildered and very upset. And I, we I met with Secretary Blinken yeah. in my capacity at USERF, and I met with the, uh, the, at the time, acting ambassador. And, and you know what I got, Chris, back, what we got back is, is that, well, this is not a religious conflict. This is a climate change conflict. It's because of the scarcity of resources. You have these herders and farmers that are warring, and religion is only ancillary to the, to the That's situation. That's a great point. The Fulani are now killing Christians in huge numbers. Boko Haram and ISIS West uh, Africa do the same. I remember when I was trying to get Boko Haram designated as a foreign terrorist organization. I had multiple hearings. I, know. I remember. Uh, on the day I was marking up my bill to compel it, um, they put him on the FDL list, but it was three years too late. Uh, it was bewildering to me as to why the administration wouldn't recognize Boko Haram, a horrible terrorist organization, as just that. 
and, and do things that might mitigate some of the damage and some of the harm that they're causing to people. They just look the other way, and, and they, they gave no good answers. Johnny Carson, who was the Assistant Secretary for Africa Affairs, uh, that was his name, yeah. not the Johnny not, Carson, not the but one another that, one. Not the one associated but with the But he told me man. in my hearing the reason why they didn't want to put FTO status was because this is really an attempt by these people, Boko Haram, to embarrass the president. Uh, blowing up bridges, abducting little girls right. from school. You know, later we had the Chibok girls abducted and so many others. Uh, it's all about a caliphate and the attempt to try to force... Uh, a Muslim belief on people. I had could yeah. could, could this be? And, and I've seen this elsewhere. Yeah. The hesitancy is because primarily the target here are, are Christians. I think there's. It's a great question. Um, I don't know their hearts and souls as to why, but there has been such a reluctance to recognize what is approaching a genocide. They're being killed simply because they are Christians, and the genocide conventions trying to destroy a, a group, I mean, the, whole or in part, while there, they're trying there to needs do it. To, there, there should be an understanding of, of what a significant humanitarian crisis this could create, because if these Nigerian Christians were to flee their country, yeah. I mean, go to Europe or, or, or somewhere, I mean, this is a mass, mass movement of, of refugees and would be a, a, a huge, huge and, crisis. And what are they asking? They're asking their government to, to respond quickly, to, to mitigate the harm, uh, the damage to do surveillance, and they're sitting there with their hands folded. They're doing very much what we see right now and yeah. what we saw in India, which is why we asked for a CPC designation on too. India, exactly. is because it's not necessarily at the hands of government, but government is turning a blind That's eye right. to this. Gross indifference. Right. Chris Smith, unfortunately, we're out of time, but... Always great, great to, to uh, talk with you. Thank you so much for the tremendous work you do on Capitol well, Hill, advocating for. Well, you're up there leading the, the charge for, for for the sanctity of human life, and you don't stop there. You're advocating for the, the persecuted all around the globe, and and we're grateful for Thank it. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Well, folks, you got to do your part. You need to weigh in with your members of Congress and let them know where you stand on these important issues. So let's start with WHO. Text the word WHO to 67742. Sign that petition. And then as these bills on uh, Nigeria and the UNRWA, the UN Relief Works Agency advances, we're going to give you the action items on those as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.